And that is hard to do to make Zach Wilson look like an MVP. Hello and welcome to the Un-American Football Show. Back again, we take a look at the past week in the NFL. We've got no Nate today, he's sadly poorly, he's resting up in bed. But in the studio today, we have our super Scott, Ross Crawford. How you doing, buddy? I'm absolutely knackered for the because for the first time in a while, Saints were on Monday Night Football. And uh, <laughs> I naturally had to stay up, um, which uh, wasn't the smartest thing, but it's a, a thing that a lot of British fans have to do at some point. It is. Um, in the fandom. It is something you have to do, and it's amazing you didn't fall asleep watching that. Um, it was an interesting game. <laughs> it was definitely not uh, one of the best of the week, unfortunately. Um, but anyway, I'm sure we'll touch upon that shortly anyway. Uh, we're also honoured to have a special guest with us on the show today. One of the co-hosts of the Transatlantic Titans podcast, making his debut on the show, I believe, is Greg Kent. Welcome, Greg, and how are you doing? Hey, evening, chaps. Uh, good to be here. Uh, yeah, this is uh, this is my first time. We've had uh, Nate on our podcast a couple of times, and he's never been invited back since. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, looking forward to hopefully getting an invite back in the future. So, but yeah, no, thanks for having me on. No, great to have you, and uh, it's great that Nate hasn't uh, scared you off joining us. So that's also great. So well done, Nate. Good job. Uh, <laughs> so obviously, the cat is already out of the bag. You are a Titans fan. Uh, and we will be talking to them about today because they're one of the hottest teams in the NFL over the last couple of weeks. But tell us, why Tennessee? Why the Titans and why did you fall in love with them? Yeah, it's it's, it's quite a long story. Um, I've, I've always kind of admired the NFL but never really had a team. So um, about 10 years ago, almost, I think it is now, we, we, we travelled across the US, myself and my partner, and um, we went from New York along the south to LA and whilst on that trip I just thought you know what the best way to get into this sport is just picking a team and, and sort of adopting them as my team and, and kind of kick it on from there so I just decided we were, we went to uh, probably about 15-20 different cities um, saw, saw a, a large majority of the cities that have an NFL team and thought I'm just going to pick one based on which was my favourite city ultimately um, and it was between Vegas, who didn't have a team at the time, uh, and Nashville, which was actually a bit of a, a surprise to me at the time because it was a stop off on a, our trek that we were on that we we didn't really think too much about. We just thought, okay, yeah, we're stopping off in Nashville, and then went there, spent a day and a half in Nashville, and, and absolutely fell in love with it. And we pretty much go back every single year now to watch to watch the Titans at least sort of two or three times a year, um, whether it's home or away, and it's yes yeah, become almost like a part of life now. Sounds great. I'm very jealous of all your trips over there. And you were just telling us before we came on, you're due over in a couple of weeks. I am indeed, yeah. I think it's crossed all, barring a Boris disaster and uh, another lockdown or <laughs> restrictions being put back in place, the, the plans to fly out um, in mid-November. So I should be out there for the for the Saints games, uh, Saints Ooh. game, which will be uh, one, one for you that you'll be keeping an eye on, Ross, um, and also for the Texans, which in classic Titan style, I'm fully expecting us to lose. Um, but yeah, we'll, I'm looking forward to it. I've got an unbeaten record at the Nissan, so it's uh, it's one that I'm, I'm very much holding dearly and very much do not want to lose. And having back-to-back games uh, two weeks in a row is uh, it might be too much to ask, but yeah. Uh, uh-huh. 
I'll definitely uh, chalk that up as a Saints loss then. <laughs> yeah, um, it's gonna it's gonna come to an end at some point. I'm expecting it. So, but uh, fingers crossed, it won't come to an end on this trip. We've been waiting, obviously with COVID, etc. It's gonna be pretty much two years since we were last in Nashville. So, yeah, hopefully we won't get spoiled. We've also got a couple of college games to go to as well. So it's pretty much a sports led trip. You can get to watch Golden Knights game against uh, the Predators, which should be quite fun. Ooh. That sounds like one hell of a trip. I'm very, very, very jealous. Let's move on before I get too much more jealous. <laughs> uh, as always, we're going to start off with the news. And Ross, you've uh, found some things you want to get us talking about. Yeah, well, um, I don't know if you guys will want to talk about them or not, but um, I want to talk, talk about Joel Flacco. Um, and that's right, because we had a quarterback trade in the NFL, and it's not the one that we've been he- seeing on Twitter Um being speculated about all over the place for the last couple of weeks and really since March if you think about all the, the stuff surrounding Deshaun Watson the Texans to Tagovailoa um, you could even start and mention Aaron Rodgers and Russell Wilson throw their names in there it's Joe Flacco he's the guy that's been traded um, the Jets gave up a sixth round pick that could turn into a fifth round pick to the Philadelphia Eagles to secure the rights to Joe uh, Flacco this year um, and obviously that's all really because of the injury to Zach Wilson that he suffered over the weekend he suffered a PCL injury in his knee. He's going to be out for two to four weeks. Um, I don't know how much playing time Joe Flacco is going to get. I'd imagine they want to play the, the rookie in there or the, the younger quarterback, Mike White, who was interesting against New England, but obviously he was very unprepared to be going into the game at that time. Um, but what I really wanted to bring up this is because I think Joe Flacco's had one of the more weird NFL quarterbacking careers um, out there. Someone that could get so hot in a postseason, rarely, really, like someone as hot as anybody's ever got, really, in a, in a postseason for a quarterback. Um, just thoughts on Joe Flacco's careers, really, to be honest, lads, because he's actually in the news and he's relevant, and this might be the last time he's ever relevant in his NFL career. I think he's 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 one of those players who's, uh, I mean, 10 years, I think it was, for the Ravens. Um, I think he's... He's tour for us on a fair few occasions, um, so I've, I've had the misfortune of seeing that in person. But in recent years, I think he's one of those who just keeps kind of clinging on to his career. I'm intrigued. To, I'm intrigued to see how it's going to work. What 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 decides whether it's a sixth round pick or a fifth round pick? Is it how hard they tank? Do they get a, is it a fifth round pick if they end up finishing it's, uh, the season based on uh, based on playing time? Based on playing time. So, however, I think if he starts. Uh, certain amount of games I imagine he'll or a, a, probably a percentage of the snaps I think they often is something an indicator they often use for these kind of trades regardless it's a, it's a late round pick and probably just as a, a backup I'd imagine they want to use the younger guy in there yeah um, it's, it's an interesting choice I mean interesting to trade I mean I'm pretty sure there must be quite a few quarterbacks who can go in and back up back up and, and that kind of makes me think that they might, you might even start maybe they're not ready to, to start white yet um because I'm pretty sure you can go and pick up some quarterback off someone's practice squad who's who's is perfectly capable to go and back up. So yeah, it'd be interesting. Um, but Flacco is, yeah, I think he's going to try and prolong his career as long as he can. I can't really blame him if he's going to continue to get paid for it. So uh, you never know; we might see uh, some late wind in Flacco's career. Yeah, I mean, Mike White's not necessarily all that young. It was his first NFL game on the weekend, but he w- was drafted by the Cowboys a few years ago. It's his third year in the league, I think it is. Inexperienced, I meant to say, I should have said. Yeah, yeah I, I, knew what, I knew what you were saying. Um, but I think Flacco would probably get the starting job just because there's a reason why he's not had a game 
up until now, and it's taken you know this injury to Zach Wilson, who hasn't looked good either. I mean, he, he probably has maybe as good as Zach Wilson, to be fair. Uh, but I don't think he's necessarily someone the Jets can want to put all that much time and effort into. You know, Zach Wilson's the project. Joe Flacco is probably an easy person to slot in. The thing that is interesting for me, we talked about this last week, is that what role could Cam Newton have on an NFL team going forward? It's interesting they decided to trade some picks for Joe Flacco, who a lot of people think is past it, as opposed to bringing in someone like Cam Newton, who also a lot of people think is past it, but is available and is on the street. Uh, so I think that's an interesting move. I think they must think it's very much a short-term stopgap as well because of that. I think Cam wants to be a starter, doesn't he? I don't think there's Cam New is going into any team to be a backup. Um, Flacco's quite happy to do that. I mean, I don't think it's a bad move for, even for Zach Wilson. I mean, to have someone like that around around him in his development. I mean, if you've got a backup like Mike White, who, like you say, has got next to no NFL experience, having a, an experienced quarterback... Usually, you'd sit behind them if you look at Mahomes behind Alex Smith, for example, at KC. But in this case, I don't think it's a bad thing. The guy's won a Super Bowl in the past, and yeah, he's not the player he used to be, but maybe that's the sort of person Zach Wilson's missing at the moment. Yeah, I'd agree, but I, I do think that he, uh, he's been in the past, made some strange comments about not wanting to help younger players and things like that. I just hope he's had a bit of a attitude adjustment. Now he's, you know, he's quite clearly down the pecking order on multiple teams but um, yeah, I guess true. time will tell on that those sort of things usually come out one way or another don't they sure and uh, this is the why I find so weird about Joe Flacco is that just the last thing just to round out off his, his career and this is how weird I think it is he's 98 and 77 as a starter in the league like you know as a winning record um, his postseason stats that 2012 season are just out of this world so he goes four games. So remember, they were on the they had one home wild card game, I think, in the playoffs, and then they went on the road and in the Super Bowl, they went four and zero, had a just below sixty percent completion rate, one thousand one hundred forty passing yards, eleven touchdowns, no turnovers, whole postseason. Like it's it's about as hot as anybody's ever got in the postseason, especially for such a middling quarterback the rest of his career, um, and it's just uh, it's for someone that got was so good for just that little little chunk of NFL time um, I find it interesting that nobody thinks he's good it was nine years ago I mean it's right. a long time ago but yeah I, I get your point I think uh, but I just think yeah, Joe Flacco of, of 20, 2012 is you know, is a long distant memory um, I think we're not going to see if you look at what his more recent work yeah, he he's not looked anywhere near near the level. Oh, realistic. He's, he's he's a backup. I'm hundred percent. Like the Jets, are, he went zero and four with the Jets last year. He's hundred percent a backup at this point, and I think he's going to lose every single game he starts with the Jets this year. I just think it's a interesting um, little footnote in NFL history. I, I do I do think it is that that gives him more of a reason to just be that that support to Wilson though, and in, in having a, an experienced player that yeah was not not the player he used to be. I think. Yeah, he'll, he'll probably learn a lot from him. I was quite surprised they didn't keep hold of him, to be honest with you, just for yeah. that reason. Um, having a backup quarterback in Mike White, who's you know, played his first snaps this weekend when Wilson went down, was it's not really an, an ideal backup, but I guess that's classic Jets. It is classic Jets. <laughs> and, and that phenomenon you mentioned, Ross, about him just being super hot in the postseason, it's like the big dick Nick 
phenomenal. You know, he, he, was, he, was, he was amazing for that one year. And he then sort of got starting jobs, starting job offers from around the league. And then it just went back to just Nick. <laughs> just Nick. <laughs> Speaking about regular guys, um, a regular guy in Tampa Bay got very, very lucky over the weekend. Um, that's what we call a segue in the in the podcasting business. Um, Mike Evans accidentally gave the Tom Brady's 600 career passing touchdown ball away to a fan immediately after the touchdown reception in the first half against the Bears. Um, did anybody see the haul that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers fan got in return for giving the ball back to the equipment manager? Yeah, I struggled to repeat it all. It was like signed jerseys, signed cleats, is it a season ticket for the next this year, the next year or the year and the year after? Uh, someone said he got yep. a Bitcoin. I'm not sure if that's true. I think allegedly, allegedly Tom Brady is giving him a Bitcoin. Yeah, uh, like a, a, a Bitcoin. I take that. Um, <laughs> he wanted. He, I think he was on the Pat McAfee show, and I think he uh, wanted a to play a round of golf with Tom Brady. Um, that was that was actually something that got the ball. Uh, rolling on Tampa Bay's organizational side, and they reached out to him and they offered him the signed jerseys, the season tickets, the signed helmet, uh, game worn cleats from Mike Evans as well. Um, but so a decent haul, plenty of swag, and tickets definitely don't come cheap um, in the NFL. So, but I wanted to know what you guys would have done in a similar situation because he gave the ball back very, very quickly to that mm-hmm. manager. It was a very short conversation. Are you guys holding on to that ball for a little bit longer till TB12 comes over himself and is like requesting that ball back? Uh, and what is your uh, haul that you're asking for in return? I mean, we're all going to say, oh, yeah, we're holding on to it, aren't we? But realistically, at that precise point, are you probably not? But I've heard some, I don't know if this is how true this is, but I've seen things flying around that that ball has now been valued at like three quarters of a million dollars or something stupid. And so he's probably sitting there now thinking, yeah, I've got all of this stuff, but... I mean, I suppose Bitcoin may be made up for that slightly, but certainly not touching the sides in terms of three three quarters of a million if you could have sold it for that. But um, no, I, I probably would end up giving it back personally, unless I was not that big a fan of, of the team that I was watching and I just <laughs> randomly got the ball. Um, no, I'd probably end up giving it back, but probably 10 years down the line, you'd probably be regretting it to a certain extent, especially when it ends up getting sold for God knows how much money. But yeah, I mean, fair play to him. I saw the commentators were, I can't think it was uh, Jim Nance and Romo on, on commentary at the weekend. And yeah, they, they, they were kind of giving him pelters on it saying, nah, that's not, that's not a good deal. That's not a good deal. You, you should have kept it pretty much. So uh, I guess in the Bitcoins probably, uh, probably helped out a little bit though. I think that's valued at, I think I read earlier, it's like $63,000 at the moment or something. So not to be sniffed at just to probably spend a couple hundred dollars on some tickets get yourself in the papers and get your Bitcoin from Tom Brady. Fair play to him. Yeah, it's a really difficult one, isn't it? Um, I imagine it's very overwhelming in the fact that you're like, oh yeah, I've got the ball. And then it's like, yeah, we want that ball back. Thanks. Um, and so I know it's a different sport, but my mind sort of goes back to baseball when uh, there's a guy who's sort of a professional ball catcher, which sounds ridiculous. Uh, but he caught Alex Rodriguez's like 3,000 hit, which is also a home run, I think. And I don't even know if it was 3,000, but it sounds right. And he was in the Bronx and he caught it. And they were like, well, A-Rod wants his ball back. And he was like, well, this is like my gig. This is like what I do. This is like my livelihood. And, you know, people come and pay to catch balls at baseball games with me. 
So, and he was so freaked out by the whole thing of actually getting it. He left the stadium with the ball. He got it like tagged up to sort of say, you know, this is like the official ball and whatever. And he was getting like hate mail and death threats and, um, you know, the media were talking about him and everything. And I think from that perspective alone, it's not worth keeping it. Um, I agree, the, the ball is worth more. But if you actually want to continue being a Tampa Bay Buccaneers fan, it's probably the right thing to do to give the ball back. Just for, just for your own safety as much as anything, I think. Uh, I'd trade it for a Super Bowl ring from Tom Brady. I think that'd be a good deal. <laughs> he's got he's got a few so, to spare, yeah. Right. Yeah, he's got a few. And, and like the scarcity is sort of, I guess, on a similar level. Or he might have like, I don't know, Kalinsky Ward in the Super Bowl signed by Tom Brady or something like that. Something something that's Super Bowl related, I think that uh, I think that'd be a good trade. That's something that I'd manage to go up in value in the same way that the ball would. And maybe, you know, to him it's just some shoes, right? I'm getting a car. Like, straight off the bat. I'm thinking I'm thinking a check. Yeah. <laughs> I'm thinking I'm thinking a check. I'm also, by the way, also being a Saints fan, I'm immediately out of the exit door with that game ball. Um I'm running. And I I'll I'll, I'll send an email to the NFL, I'll send emails to Tom Brady saying, I've got your ball, mate. Like, come get it. What's your what's your offer on the table? You're assu- you're assuming this guy, if he had said now I'm gonna keep it, would have got out the door. I mean that he they would have security running after him, I'm pretty sure anyway. Yeah. Um, That'd be a great chase though. That'd be a great chase. Yeah, I don't know how fast you can you can outrun them, but uh yeah, I don't know. I think it's probably the right thing to do and oh, look, ultimately he's I think he's probably got some good press out of it, the guy. Um, and a fair amount of swag and, and a Bitcoin, so you can't really complain. Definitely. You definitely want to get out there alive. Um, I, I think that's always, that's always, if you go to a game, it's always good to survive it. So, uh, I mean, in that base, for example, they ended up giving a donation to a charity, and that was their solution. So we're much more greedy than that guy actually was, but we didn't have the death threats and stuff. So we're all winners, I guess, in, in that case. Um, was there anything else you wanted to touch upon, Ross, in the news, or...? Are you up for your 60-second challenge? I'm always up for the 60-second challenge. Okay, cool. So, Greg, I'm not sure if you're aware, but we've started doing a 60-second challenge the last week in 60 seconds. Uh, and I failed dramatically last week. I thought I'd pad it out. 60 seconds isn't very long. So, Ross is taking on the gauntlet this week. Uh, do you have a timer ready for yourself, Ross, or do you need to set you one? Um, I think you should set, as a neutral observer, I think okay. you should set me one. I don't know if I'd trust, uh, if you guys would trust me or not. Um, of course. Okay. I think I'm, I think I'm sure. the only one who's probably neutral here, let's be honest. <laughs> no, fair. <laughs> fair. That is probably Actually, that is... Uh, Alan is wishing for me to fail, to be fair, at this point. <laughs> it's not the prediction show, Ross. Um, <laughs> okay, so if, are you ready? Sure. Great. On your marks, get set. Off we go. Cool. Well, we're better to start than Thursday night. The Bakerless Browns beat the Broncos to keep their division hopes just about alive. There were very few close games in the early slate. The Titans thrashed Mahomes and the Woeful Chiefs. The Bengals stomped the Ravens in their own building. And red zone efficiency was the story of Green Bay's win over a hapless Washington football team. Young Weiku was key to the closest game in this time slot. His field goal as time expired gets Atlanta back up to 3-3 three and, three and sinks Miami's rudderless ship. The Pats and Giants also racked up wins, defeating the Jets and Panthers respectively. Later in the day, the Grudenless Raiders kept rolling at home to Philly. Detroit shocked the world for about half of a quarter, 
before the Rams took control as Matty Stafford downs the team he spent 11 seasons with previously. Arizona thumped the Texans and Tampa walked all over an FCS-looking Bears offense. Both victors looked, uh, looking like powerhouses again. Uh, on Sunday night, the Colts made Nate happy, defeating San Francisco in a Cali thunderstorm. And on Monday night, oh no, I was on Monday night football. And it's was... Monday night that killed you. It's always Monday night that killed me. Oh, well, that was the least interesting game. I mean, you could have just gone on a Monday night and uh... And on Monday night, <laughs> on Monday night there was football. That would have been me. But on Monday night, I'll finish off at least the lines because uh, Demario Davis and Alvin Kamara won me my fantasy matchup. Um, and they also happened to beat Seattle as Pete Carroll and staff could now be facing down the barrel of their first losing season since 2011. Excellent. I mean, it was a great effort for a first go, Ross. We're still, we're still getting used to this platform. I look forward to the time that we get set this challenge to the guests. So, Greg, you're lucky you're on now and not in the future. If I'm writing it myself, I can nail, I can nail that quite easily. I mean, I, I, I wouldn't go into anywhere near the detail you have there, Ross. <laughs> I got a kill by the Saints game. I shouldn't have. <laughs> the fact I watched it all the way from start to finish actually did me in. Um, but, you know, happy with the first go at it. I think next time around we'll, we'll be good at it. It's, it is good at getting that sort of flash, you know. With all the games, I completely forgot the Giants beat the Panthers, and that was a, that was a weird game. Like I don't want to talk about it, but it, I just can't believe it happened. Really. Um, okay, so let, let's dive into some of those sort of uh, juicier stories from the weekend that you went over there, Ross. Uh, the Winsonetti Bengals. I can't believe it. The, the current top seed in the AFC. Pre-season, I don't think many people would have expected it. I remember talking in our preview show, even the Bengals fan we had on said, this is going to be a rough year. And how wrong we all were. I mean, he must be loving it now. Uh, Joey Burrow, he knows leading the team exceptionally well on offense and their defense is sneaky good, to be fair. They just blew out the Ravens to, in Baltimore, 41-17. to What were your guys' takeaways from the games? And is it time to start fearing the Bengals? Um, my biggest takeaway is just how good Jamar Chase is. Um, I think, like a lot of people, if your team's not on at 6pm uh, on a, in, the, in the UK, um, you probably watch Red Zone more often than not. So I was flipping back on Red Zone, you go team, game to game, and in that kind of third and fourth quarter, the Bengals are looking like they, they're going to bengal at some point. They, they turned the ball over, um, they punted a couple of times, and you just think, well, the next highlight's going to be Lamar Jackson driving the ball down the field and scoring a couple of touchdowns. And then every single time they kept flipping the ball back, the, the, the screens back to the Bengals game, Jamar Chase was catching another ball for about 20 yards and they were driving down the field and suddenly running away with the score. And you're like, well, what the hell happened there? And I think Jamar Chase has obviously a lot to do with that. Um, eight receptions for 201 yards and a TD on uh, Sunday. And he is second in the NFL in receiving yards at this point, proving that all those preseason drops meant absolutely nothing. Just kind of how we all thought they would do. Just exactly what we thought they would mean. Nothing. Yeah, it's pretty incredible. And I believe he has the most receiving yards across the first seven games of anyone's career in the NFL ever, which is, that's not a bad start, especially considering how, yeah, the media were starting to hound him about the drops and things. Um, Greg, you know, you're a Titans fan, you're in the AFC. Are the Bengals a team that you're, you've relished at taking on or are they starting to look a bit too scary? I, I think at the beginning of this year when they drafted Jamar Chase, I certainly sat there thinking, just get pressure on Burrow. 
Like the guy's just going to go down again. Um, if you don't want to protect him, how's he going to how's he going to make a play to Jamar Chase if you can't protect him? And and their O line stepped up. They haven't. They didn't make that pick. They made the Jamar Chase pick, and it's turned out to be be a great pick for them. Um, whether that lasts for the rest of the season or not is to be seen. But I, I, I mean, I'm, do I fear them? They've just scored 41 points in Baltimore, and Baltimore have got a decent defense. We all know what they can do offensively. Uh, held them 17, scored 41 away from home. I don't think you can, you can't not fear them right now. Um, they're joint top of the AFC. I'm going to make that very, very clear. We're still very much up there. I'm taking that as as, as much as possible. We'll talk about the Titans in a minute, but yeah, no, I think they're very much. Uh, we played them last year when they were, you know, let's face it, not the not the best team in the league, um, and we got beaten in classic Titan style by them. Um, you can see Burrow on his day is, is probably as good as anyone. Um, I think if over the next couple of years or so, if they can, if they can protect him and they can draft well, um, adding a few extra pieces here and there, they're, they're going to be a, a team to, to watch. I don't think they'll go all the way this year. Realistically, I think there's, there's, there's too many strong teams in the AFC to around them and, and whether they'll just sort of run out of steam or not is to be seen. But, I think they're enjoying it while they can at the moment and who can blame them? Yeah, definitely. And I mean, this Ravens team should beat the Bills the week prior. So, you know, Ravens have been hotly tipped. You know, if you go around power rankings from all the analysts and experts around the league, they all have the Ravens top five, they all have the Bills top five, and now the Bengals have beaten the team that beat the other team that were the top five. And it doesn't quite work like that because sports just strange things happen. Um, on any given Sunday, you know, but it's definitely a very strong position they're in. And this coming week, they play the Jets, so they've got a, essentially a walkover this coming week as well. Maybe they won't be sharing the top of the AFC come the end of the coming week. Just interesting, um, looking at the AFC North standings all of a sudden, with the, mm-hmm. the Bengals pulling the Ravens back to the pack. The Bengals obviously top five and two, Ravens also five and two, Cleveland four and three, Pittsburgh as bad as they've been, probably played some of the worst football we've seen this mm-hmm. year in the early weeks uh, after that Buffalo win. They're at 3-3. Three and three. So suddenly that AFC North uh, is looking like a real kind of, I wouldn't say a powerhouse division again, but looking like some a very, very strong uh, division. I wonder if we'll probably get some separation when we get some more divisional games in the, in the next few month, months or so. But I just think it's a very uh, interesting point in time for the AFC North. I think it's an interesting one with the North because I think I actually think the Ravens and the Bengals are. I mean, with Brown's injuries issues at the moment, obviously we, we all know the issues of running back in particular and Mayfield as well. Uh, you know, if they get those guys back quick, they might. You know, as long as they don't lose a couple more games and all of a sudden they're two, three games behind, then there's every chance they'll be in in the mix. I, I don't rate the Steelers this year, if I'm honest. I think defensively they're still pretty good, but. With big big Ben, I just, he's he's not not the same as what he what he once was, and I'm surprised they're three and three. To be honest with you, I don't think they're they're probably worthy of that in many regards. But um, yeah, it's gonna be it is gonna be an interesting division. I think there's uh, there's a lot of one sided divisions in the AFC, but this is one that I think you'll be watching all the way through, and you might even see three teams making making the playoffs out of this division. That'd be pretty incredible, but I wouldn't disagree with that. I think from the beginning of the season, before the season, we looked at it and went, this is a real tough division and one's a hard one to call. But I still think everyone had the Bengals at the bottom of it. 
and the Steelers probably second bottom. It's just that that's uh, you know the Bengals have locked it up at the top for the time being. So yeah, it will be interesting to see how it plays out. Um, the Browns you just mentioned there, Greg. Nick Chubb's back at training, so they expect him to have, be back at least uh, for this coming week. You know, they are so ground and pound. They they need as good as uh, that guy. I can't remember his name. John, uh, Johnson. Johnson was it? Yeah, it's John, yeah. Dennis Johnson. Yeah. Dennis, yeah, was, uh, the first name just slightly eluded me. Uh, as good as he was in this past week against the Broncos, yeah, you can't. There's no two Nick Chubbs just hanging uh, around. Big game for them actually this week is against the Steelers. So we're yes. talking about that those divisional games. I think he might start to see some separation there. And then they have to they go to Cincinnati uh, the week after that. So that could be one to circle. Yeah, definitely. Uh, let's move on. Let's, let's stick with the AFC. Let's talk about your Titans, Greg. Uh, they definitely seem to sort of tighten up their act the last couple of weeks. And, you know, I can see the rivalry with the Colts starting to brew again. It felt like there might be a bit of separation, uh, but the Colts have started to turn it on a little bit as well in the past two weeks. Uh, both of you have rough starts, but the Titans have really bounced back from that baffling loss to the Jets, which, having watched the Jets in London, I'm, I'm still <laughs> baffled by. Uh, and I, th- I think you were as well. But they then are three wins in a row, beating divisional rivals, the Jags, well, I'd say rivals, opposition maybe is a better word, uh, and then beating the Cockpit Bills, who we all just talked about, and then giving the Chiefs a right pace team this weekend, 27-3. to And I embarrassed myself on our prediction show saying, the Chiefs always score 30, pretty much. Uh, well, there's a three in it, but it, was, it wasn't 30. Uh, say, before we talk about the Colts, focus on the Tysons. You must have enjoyed the last few weeks, Greg. And what's the difference makers then? Um, to be honest with you, we're we're five and two, but should be six and one. Absolutely, I think the Cardinals game in week one um, was quite humbling. To be honest with you, I think we 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 went in there thinking we should win this game. We had a few players in the week leading up to who went on to COVID reserve lists, which means they didn't really practice in the week leading up to, and it, you could tell that first week they just weren't at it at all. Uh, and the Cardinals kind of dispatched us pretty pretty comfortably. But aside from that, we should have, we should have, yeah. The Jets game was was a serious case of turning up there, um, and just no matter what what we tried, it was just they were just coming back at us. The first quarter actually, they I think we I can't remember if we'd kept into a field goal, or maybe even completely locked them out, and we were all thinking, oh, this is just going to be a breeze. It's going to be a comfortable win. We can all sit here, put our feet up, and um, yeah. And the Jets was 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 a bit of a horror show in those last three quarters. I think it was, but it was needed. We had the same last year against the Bengals I mentioned earlier. Um, we, we had a, a loss there that, that wasn't really expected. It's cl- kind of classic Titans that they would come back. The Jags game we were expected to win, but the Bills and the Chiefs, no one, no one predicted us winning those two games. Um, what's changed? I think defensively we've we've kind of learned that we need to scheme for the players we've got, um, and we had a lot of players out injured in, in the secondary in particular. Um, in and that's something that we've kind of sort of learned. We need to stop giving up the big plays that we did. If you watch the Jets game in particular, I mean, we were looking, making Zach Wilson look like the best quarterback in the league, just throwing throwing things down the field for someone not to go up and catch. Um, and that is hard to do to me. 
Precisely, right? (laughs) Precisely. So it turned it turned into a game on on Sunday that that was all about the defence. We're good up front. We've we picked up Danico Autry from from the Colts, which has been a a brilliant pickup for us. One that when he was when he first signed, I was a bit like, okay, yeah, that's a replacement for Taquan Jones, but he's come in and and just been absolutely insane for us. Really, Um, with guys like Jeffrey Simmons, Harold Landry's having a career year it's almost like he knows he needs to get paid and has just decided to turn it on at the right time um he's been absolutely insane and Bud Dupree this week got his first sack and is is starting to get healthy so we're we're in a pretty good place we've still got a lot of injuries um especially in the secondary we've got Christian Fortwin out on IR it's been a huge miss for us but we've got two coordinators who are relatively inexperienced Todd Downing um has been a coordinator in the past with the Raiders and didn't have a particularly good record. Uh, it's, you know, absolutely called some of the, well, certainly the best first half I've I've seen in in many many years as a Titans fan. And it's not it's not often that you can you can go into a game, be twenty seven nil up at half time, not score a single point in the second half, and still walk away thinking it was just it was just brilliant across the field and. Um, Bar one, bar one play, Tannehill was absolutely on point as well. His stats never show the quality that he brings. He's never going to throw four or 500 yards because you've got Derek Henry. He's ultimately going to be taking a lot of carries. Um, but he makes just some incredible plays sometimes. And that's what we saw from him in the last two years. We saw it again this Sunday, um, which is great to see. The Colts is going to be the interesting one though. Um, I think the Colts is a tough game. Uh, I think they are... We, on paper, we should be beating them, but the bookies have, can't split us, for, and probably for good reason because we all know that that with the with the Colts, they've got a, such a good record historically against us. Um, but I would be disappointed not if we couldn't walk out of there with a win. Realistically, based on we're getting players back healthy now, we're we're in we're in good rhythm. It would be a with the Rams coming up the week after. It would be a bit devastating not to win that game. Obviously, Derek Henry is the life the heart, the soul of the, the offense and the team and very much the face of the franchise there. And you mentioned what Ryan Tannehill can do off the back of that ground game. Um, from what I remember of the Jets game, you were missing both your top wide receivers, though. I think you're missing AJ Brown and Julio Jones. There still needs to be that level of balance to the offense where you need your top guys, your top wideouts, at least one of them. And AJ Brown looks like he's the guy um, to be at their best, basically. Um, to be open for Ryan Tannehill to build off that ground game. Um, and A.J. Brown, in those wins against Buffalo and Kansas City, was obviously lights out, looking at the stat sheet and looking, remembering the games, looking at the highlights. Uh, 133 yards against the Chiefs on Sunday. How good, as someone who watches him week in, week out, how good is A.J. Brown in the grand scheme of things with wide receivers? If he was playing for a bigger market team, everyone would be spitting lyricals about him. He's... He's at that level. Um, everyone, everyone loves DK Metcalf because he plays for Seattle, and everyone will talk about him. Not everyone, maybe, but certainly a lot of people do. Uh, NFL media certainly does. Um, <laughs> those sort of guys, you know, and and but he he is as good as, if not better. And I think if he was playing for a bigger market team, he'd be he'd be definitely shouted at as as one of the the best receivers in this league. Um, but I'm not complaining about that because I'm quite happy to go under the radar as a Titans fan, to be brutally honest with you. But he's integral to everything that we do. The, the fact you mentioned the Bills game last week. I mean, he played that with with food poisoning. 
um, spent I think half a half the game when he wasn't on the field basically on the toilet um, and that's the sort of thing that you know if you can go in and, and put a performance in like that despite that it just shows the quality that he's got but he's absolutely integral outside of Henry Henry's the the, the lazy answer of you know he's everything that we've got um, I mean he scored he three more touchdown passes than Mahomes did on Sunday so uh, a pretty good running back as far as I see it that's savage. We've just lost about our, our, our one Chiefs fan that we had uh, on <laughs> the podcast. Yeah, apologies. To be fair, we all threw as many touchdowns on the weekend as Patrick Mahomes did. So. Well done, That's very right? true. High fives all around. Uh, <laughs> I always feel like we don't need to get to talk about the Colts too much. You, Greg, you sort of, it's like you, you saw where the conversation was going. Um, Ross, I was interested to sort of round up the sort of AFC South chat. What do you sort of see happening uh, between the Colts and Titans? Do you think this could be a really, really significant game in the Colts bringing it back? Or do you think this is a chance for the Titans to edge further forward? Uh, the season's so long now. I know that it's only one extra game, but that one extra game just feels a lot... It just feels a, a lot... makes the season feel a lot longer than it actually is, and we're still not even half at the halfway point yet. Um but this is about as big a game as you probably get for a divisional race because I think it would separate them to three wins, I believe, in the standings if the Titans win and it would get them the Colts to within one win if the Colts win it. So as and much as... Titans, uh, Titans have already won against the Colts already this season, right, Greg? Yeah, sorry. I was on yeah, absolutely. So the, the, Colts, the Colts game earlier this year, I mean, it was a relatively comfortable win for us in the end. I'm not expecting this to be anywhere near as comfortable. I think they've they've got some some really really good players. Um, Jonathan Taylor's running the ball really well at the moment. I think he's now second in behind Henry uh, or third behind Henry after contact. Um, but it's it's one of those ones for me that this is going to be one of those games that is a potential. I don't want to say potential banana skin because that kind of makes it seem like the Colts are not a good side because they are a better side than their record suggests and certainly a better side than their early season form has suggested. Um, I'm. I think the the biggest issue for the Colts is they're still missing Quentin Nelson, and I think that our defensive front, if it gets to Wentz, you know, we all know where that will end up. Um, I mean, I think he's just got his ankles back after the last time he played them. So it's going to be a yeah, it's going to be a fun game to watch. One of those ones. I'm not, I don't think many people in the wider NFL media are probably going to care about the game too much. But for us, uh, for us in the AFC South, I think it's going to be an interesting one to watch. Well, that tiebreaker is even more important, right? The, the Titans won the first one. I think the Colts absolutely need to get this one in the bag in that case. Um, I'll defend the Colts so in, in Nate's absence. I know he would be shouting uh, expletives back at Greg uh, at this point. So I think uh, over the last couple of weeks, we have seen a lot of improvement from the Colts. They, you, not A bad team doesn't go into San Francisco uh, and, and win a game, regardless of who's playing quarterback and regardless of whoever... Uh, problems that San Francisco have going on at the moment in terms of injuries. Um, I think we've started to see the Colts that we thought we were going to see in, when we saw the roster in like mid-July, mid-August, uh, mid before the Carson Wentz injury, um, before the Quentin Nelson injury. Um, they're running the ball well with Jonathan Taylor. Carson Wentz is hitting big plays and is improved under Frank Reich. We can see that now. He's hitting big plays. And uh, DeForest Buckner has finally come into his own. He's had sacks the last couple of weeks as well, so he's finally finding some form as well. So there's definitely, and Darius Leonard as well, he's been lights out the last couple of weeks. He's played really, really well. I know that Nate would want a mention for Darius Leonard. I was going to say, it's like Nate's in the room. Yeah. <laughs> so 
they, we know the Colts have the players, and um, that we know they have the stars. That when they turn up on any given any given week against any team, we know they can make big plays. They can force turnovers on that defense, um, like Xavier Rhodes just did on Sunday against San Francisco. So there's definitely a case to be made for t- uh, the Colts, but the way Tennessee have been playing against the Bills, against the Chiefs, is difficult to see for now. But if the Colts do win this game, it is definitely it changes the picture of the AFC South over. Uh, just three hours of football. I know Nate would want me to say the Colts are going to win, so I'll just stick that in there for for that. Um, yeah, massive game. And you're, Greg, you're probably right. It's probably going to be slightly undersold by the NFL media, but it is a massive game. And all the people that actually know a bit about the NFL, uh, even the little that I know, I look at it and go, this, this is one of the matchups of the weekend. So, yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. Ross, I know you wanted to talk about the Packers. You think they've got a bit of a strange thing going on at the moment? More, more accurately, um, how bad Washington are. <laughs> <laughs> like a, just a quick word on Green Bay, the win, I guess. I think they, they do have a bit of a strange thing going on where Matt LeFleur is definitely, I've just butchered his name, but I'm not going to repeat it. I've definitely uh, found a way with, uh, I know you got Aaron Rodgers as the quarterback, but He's definitely underappreciated in terms of NFL head coaches. Let's not forget Mike McCarthy had Aaron Rodgers for the previous 10 years beforehand. And that Green Bay team was so flat towards the end of his, his year and his tenure with, uh, with Green Bay. But he's managed to go 13-3 and three, tw- two seasons in a row, and now they're 6-1 and one again. Um, they went 6-1 and one, uh, thanks to a win over Washington on Sunday, in which Washington were just inexplicably bad in the red zone um, against Green Bay. I don't know if anybody saw the first trip to the the red zone um, where it resulted in a turnover and downs where Taylor Heineke is running to the end zone with a, not a man in five yards of him and he slides into the end zone which if you are an NFL quarterback and not everybody would know this rule I didn't know this rule at the time but as an NFL quarterback you need to know this kind of thing that if you're sliding um, at this point you don't need to be touched down um, so he slid his knee touched in the ground before uh, going over the into the end zone and it was ruled called back to the one yard line for a fourth down, which he then fumbled, and they turned the ball over. It's inexplicably bad from a Washington team. I thought we're actually going to be a lot better this year in the second year of Ron Rivera's uh, tenure. Um, I know there were only 7-9 and last year as division winners, but 7-9, and you should be able to improve from that point. That's a good starting point for uh, your first season as head coach for a football team. But that defense, man, that was supposed to be the defense of the league. Like many people had them predicted as the, the top defense in the NFL. And now they sit here through week seven, 28th in yards allowed per game and dead lad led last in points allowed per game. Um, just terrific show in uh, Washington at the moment. Yeah. I mean, one thing I will say is that Taylor Heineke, he is a backup. We're not, we're sort of forgetting that point. He looks so capable in so many ways that we almost forget you know, earlier we were talking about Joe Flacco. You can't compare Joe Flacco's ability in 2021 to what Taylor is doing uh, in Washington. Uh, okay, he might be a high-end backup, but he is still a backup. The defence, you say, I'm not really sure what's, <laughs> not sure what's happened there. Uh, Greg, you mentioned about someone being in a career year, uh, having a sort of career year, and it's a contract year as well. And that happens a lot. Mm. I wonder if there's some, just some guys in Washington that have got the money that they wanted and gone, that's good. I'm, I'm happy with that. And 
there seems to be a, a lack of desire because yeah, coming into the season, I was quite nervous about the Cowboys having to face Washington twice in a year, and now I look at them and go, "When's the game?" Yeah, I'm in. It's too late in the schedule. They might sort themselves out a bit by then, but I wish we played them twice already. Doesn't get doesn't get easier for them either. I mean, Broncos game this coming week's probably not not too scary, but you know they've still got to play. Still got to play the Bucks. Still got to play the Seahawks. And by the time the Seahawks come around, that's a good month away. So we might see Russell Wilson by that point. Um, yeah, their defense last year was was pretty much the main reason they stuck about with the Bucks in the playoffs. It was the main reason they they got to to where they were, even though the record wasn't wasn't great. And then what is last year was a bit of a joke to fishing. But I think this year is yeah, they're they're so far away from where they need to be. And obviously the Cowboys have have kind of stepped up and put themselves in a position now to, to really kind of take a, take a stronghold in that division. Um, and I don't, I I can't see, I can't see Washington being part of any real discussion whatsoever. And I think last year their defense carried them and this year it doesn't feel like they're, if they, if they don't have a defense, then they're relying on Terry McLaurin and, and Gibson to, to get them out of whatever mess they're in. And if you don't have a quarterback who can make the plays, and Heineke's not bad, I'm not, I'm not going to criticise him heavily, but he's not going to be able to make the plays that certainly most starters in this league are going to be able to play, uh, make, sorry. And, you know, which means the likes of McLaurin isn't going to be getting the the receptions that he should be getting. Because, I mean, he's up there, in my opinion, as one of the, yeah. one of the best in this league. Um, if he played with a, a bit more of a competent quarterback and maybe in a slightly more competent team as a whole, I think he'd be probably one of the best, if not the best. So, and then same from a Gibson's perspective, I mean, he's had a lot of injury issues, unfortunately, which has sort mm. of hampered him. Um, but they had that last year and they kind of got through that. I mean, Gibson missed loads of time last year and they got through it, but they got through it because they weren't conceding was it 28 points a game you mentioned, Ross. I mean, that's just, you can't concede that many points per game and expect to win, win games of football. Absolutely. I think, we also have to remember that the schedule was a lot harder for them this year with being winning the division last year. But also, it's the NFC East turn to play the AFC West. Is that right? Yeah. Like the, the Chargers, the Raiders, um, and yeah. Co. So it's also just sort of a bit of an unfortunate year that there's already some teams in there which you don't necessarily want to be playing all that often, to be honest. And it, it is showing them up a bit. Yeah, agreed. All right, well, let's move on from the Washington football team. I don't like talking about them too much anyway, uh, being a divisional rival and all that. I mean, if I was, this isn't a segment we normally have, but if I was going to choose an outrageously fun game of the week, I've got to say I really enjoyed the Lions and Rams. You know, the Lions definitely do not have one of the best rosters in the NFL. In fact, it's probably bottom five, and that might be being polite. It might be higher up than that. But I definitely think that Dan Campbell's definitely restoring a bit of pride to this team. And the way he's handling things, yeah, okay, they're still winless. But I do think it's going to come. I don't think they're going to end winless, even with Jared Goff at the helm, to be honest. You know, this Jared Goff derby, if we can call it that. It, it was a good watch for three and a half quarters. I actually thought the Lions might do it. But, you know, the, the Rams, they do have a lot more quality than the Lions. So, you know, they did run away with it a little bit at the end. But from the surprise onside kicks, which... Uh, in the first in the first quarter, I, I can definitely say I'm not sure. I remember the last time I saw that uh, two fake punts. You know, a bit of a bit of Sean McVay back at him, which you know, 
I, I've always hated it when the Cowboys play the Rams and I go, I just know it's coming and <laughs> the Cowboys are just going to fall asleep and they're going to have egg on their face and go, oh, yeah, we've got, we got McVeigh. Uh, and, and it was nice for McVeigh to get Campbelled in, in that respect. So, um, yeah, I just thought it was, I just thought it was a fun game. You know, it felt like it could be an upset. And I think there's a lot of games this week which were blowouts, similar to the week prior, actually, which was a bit unusual. Uh, this one felt like it was going to go the distance, and it, it nearly did. I mean, what did you guys make of it? Was it one you enjoyed? It was. I loved watching it. I'll be honest with you. It was, on, it was the the late game that was on and. Um, watching on Red Zone, that it, I think Dan Campbell went into this game thinking we're probably not going to win this, so let's just go and have some fun. Like let's go and like let's just go and mix things up. They're not going to expect us to onside kick in the first quarter. They're not going to expect us to 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 run two fake punts. Um, let's just let's have fun with it. It could have ended catastrophically, and they failed in all of their attempts, and and they would look probably a bit embarrassed about it. But realistically. I just didn't really care. And to be honest with you, if you're a team that's 0 6 as they were, why not? I mean, what, what have you got to lose? And you know that the Rams are a better team than you. You certainly know that they're going to score points on you. And the best way of stopping them from scoring points is keeping your offense on the field. And if it means you're scoring a touchdown, which they did with Swift, and then immediately getting the ball back because you've just converted an onside kick, you're keeping Stafford on the bench. And we all know what Stafford can do. And they certainly know better than anyone what Stafford can do. Um, yeah, I, I, it was it was great fun to watch. I don't think I would have enjoyed it necessarily as a Rams or even potentially as a Lions fan to that extent, but as a neutral, yeah, great fun. I thought it was a, a perfect four quarters of football um, because you had the surprises at the start. You had the you always hear I think coaches talk about when they know you're playing a, an offense that you can't really stop uh, with your defense with your roster of players uh, stealing possessions. And that's certainly what Detroit obviously tried to do um, with the, the surprise onside kick after their opening drive touchdown, the fake punts to try and get more points on the board, um, going for it on, on fourth down a couple of times. Their defense even made a stand late in the in the, the second half to get the ball back um, and give Jared Goff a chance to go down drive down the field and win the game against um, his former team that kind of unceremoniously dumped them in Detroit. Um, naturally, Jared Goff then Jared Goffed and threw two interceptions. Um, so it was actually a perfect four quarters of football in my book because I uh, don't particularly like Jared Goff, so I was uh, <laughs> I was quite happy with the whole the whole the whole uh, the whole event. Yeah, but I mean, I, I'd like to think the Lions won't go um, uh, winless the entire season. I, I was uh, look at their schedule. I was just looking. I was circling that. I was circling the Eagles game. I don't think I've ever been more happy for a Detroit versus Philadelphia game, but. Uh, I, I love a bit of Dan Campbell, to be fair, so I, I would be quite keen to get that. I think they have Chicago later on in the year, so if mm. they're playing Justin Fields um, and that offensive line, I think that, that's another one to circle for Detroit um, as a possible win. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely some tricky ones coming up. Uh, Browns, they'll probably be a bit healthier by then. I think they'll lose to the Vikings, the Cardinals. Uh, the Seahawks probably have Russell Wilson back by, the, by near the end of the season. Same with Packers. So... Why not start this week against the Eagles? I think they got a shout. Yep, get the turnover, get the the turnaround going, get back on track. Because Jalen Hurts doesn't look great. No, I said that's polite. Worse than not great. <laughs> Eagles are a strange team, though. They're kind of one of those teams that are, they can lose to anyone, but I think also on their day they could potentially beat anyone. Um, mm. I think so. I think they'll. They'll kind of, I guess, stumble over the line come the end of the season. I can't. I'm not expecting them to, uh, to necessarily 
go anywhere near where the Cowboys currently are. But yeah, they're 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 a strange old team. Yeah, uh, Jared Goff now is he Owen fifteen in games that he started without Sean McVay as a head coach. Um, something along those lines is is uh, one to keep track of as well. So. As much as I don't like him, I do hope he gets off that schneid at some point. I think that's a bit of a shame. Yeah, that's getting to the point where people start making Twitter accounts about, you know, has he won without Sean McVay yet? You know, or, or a website with like a counter of how many days since. You've just given, some, you just given someone the idea to actually go away and do that now. Yeah. Um, I can hear Nate doing it from here, actually. You know, he, he likes to keep busy in his uh, spare time. Uh, Anyway, I know you want to talk about the Saints before we sort of round off with any other business, Ross. Um, were, were you impressed with the Saints last night on Monday Night Football? Uh, honestly, I have a little paragraph here, but I'm not going to say all of it. I just wanted to give a quick Alvin Kamara shout-out because Alvin Kamara is single-handedly just about um, keeping the Saints on track, along with Sean Payne um, as a coach. But um, in a game that was very dreary, very dull, very boring to watch, uh, I admit, unless you're a fan of either team, um, Alvin Kamara dominated that first half. Um, not so much on the ground as a rusher, but 10 receptions, 128 yards uh, receiving uh, total for the game and the, the one touchdown for the Saints. He is a, might be the best receiving running back in the league and he showed it again last night. He was able to beat everybody, anybody who lined up against him in man coverage out of the backfield. He put them on, he was just unreal. Put them on skates basically in the open field. Um, and he just the way he just glides past defenders is um, probably second to none in the league. So Alan Kamara and Sean Payton's game planning, to be fair, is doing just enough to get keep us on track um, so far this season at four and two. I can't believe they're four and two. Now can I sometimes to be That's honest. That's not four and two football team. I was entering the season thinking this would be a, a losing year, and here we are with a little bit of optimism um, towards the end of October. What's your thoughts on on Jameis Winston? I mean, because I, 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 obviously we all know he can throw interceptions with the best of them, but I mean, also in Tampa, he, he could also throw absolute dimes. I haven't, really, I don't think we've really seen that as much since since he's joined the Saints. Is that more of a, a scheme thing, or is that more of a uh, definitely a scheme thing? Sean Payton's definitely keeping the training wheels a little bit on this offense. It's a lot of intermediate routes to Marcus Callaway. It's a lot of Alvin Kamara. If the first the first guy is not open, he's not making Jameis Wilson go through the next two or three uh, progressions. It's very much hit Alvin Kamara as quickly as possible. If that doesn't work, he's probably throwing the ball away. Um, that's basically how the offense is operating at the moment. I don't think that's going to work later on in the year when people kind of figure that out. It's just kind of double Alvin Kamara out the backfield and double the number one receiver. Um, but for now it's working and I'm happy. I think Colin came on the show a couple of weeks ago, Alan, and he mentioned the Saints are very much Jekyll and Hyde. Um, they've been one week bad, one week good, like, but not just good and bad. One week really, really, really good where you can absolutely thump the Patriots uh, very, very handedly, and then you go and lose to, I can't even think of some of the losses because I've tried to negate them from my mind. The Giants, for example, make Daniel, Daniel Jones look like an MVP candidate, but... Um, Thanks to the bye week, we're off that Jekyll and Hyde week to week. Um, and we've now won two in a row. So we'll take it. Until this coming week, when they're going to lose to whoever it is. I can't remember. Honestly, I can't remember. Again, I try and switch <laughs> off at this point. <laughs> but uh, I'm, I'm not going to figure out. I guess it's just going to be a surprise on Sunday when I turn on the TV. Oh, it's Tampa Bay. 
Oh, okay, that's a loss, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can have a bad one too, but no good weeks have a bad one. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I can't believe they're 4 2. To still be in that situation, you know, I definitely give it up to Sean Payton and what he's doing out there because I definitely think he's working with inferior tools compared to a lot of other coaches out there. So, yeah, I do think he's one of the best around. So, fair play to him and the Saints. So, with that, I think we'll go to any other business. Any other business? For me, I just got to say, there's some weird stuff that happened in the last week. Like, I know people sort of talk about, you know, a bit of a phrase, like, how can you not be romantic about baseball? But the NFL is more like, it reminds me more of like the theatre, like the comedy and like tragedy masks. Because, you know, you've got the tragedy with all the injuries and stuff like that. But some of the stuff that happens is just downright hilarious in the NFL. Uh, and if you guys saw Brandon Ayuk's weird touchback, which was not a safety, he dropped the ball from a punt, turned round, chased after it, kicked it straight into the end zone. Uh, but because the ball was naturally moving in that direction, it wasn't a safety, and they got the ball back on the 25-yard line. But watching it, it was like, I don't know, it was sort of reminiscent of da- watching Danny Welbeck play football, um, to be honest. Yeah, it, was, it was a very similar experience. Similarly, um, we already talked about the onside kicks for the Lions. You know, it worked, worked well for them. I don't know if the Eagles saw it and thought, we can do that. The Eagles tried it shortly after. Yeah, it, it went full Philadelphia Eagles, <laughs> uh, and they just lost the ball. Uh, and again, the NFC is, is, is a bit of a, it's a bit of a laughing stock, isn't it? I don't know if you caught this one. Chris Blewett was the kicker for the Washington football team this week. Uh, first kick in the NFL, he did exactly that. He, he blew it. He uh, got his he got his kick blocked by. Uh, the defensive line, so it, it's just an amazing place for strange things to happen in the NFL. There's all, there's always, uh, there's always some stories every week of weird and wonderful things that happen. One thing that was, um, I guess, it could have been covered in news to a certain extent was was earlier this week, um, Kenny Young's trade to to Denver. Um, found that quite a strange one because I thought every game I watch the Rams, he's someone who makes big plays. Um, and then he got drafted for, I think, like a 2024 sixth-round pick, which for a guy who's only been drafted in the last, I think he was drafted a couple of years ago, or maybe 2018, um, he's always looked pretty good. I, mean, I don't know the ins and outs of, of the Rams and don't watch them every single week, but whenever I have watched him, he always seems like a pretty good player that always makes pretty big plays. And he's no Aaron Donald, but he always always comes in as from the linebacker position and... He certainly blows up the backfield on a regular basis. I was quite surprised by that one. I thought it was a surprising trade earlier this week. To I know Denver are light in that position, but 2024 sixth round pick seems quite cheap. Oh, yeah, 2020, I mean, 2024 feels like a million years, <laughs> uh, years away, but it's really not. It's, <laughs> the years are racking up. I mean, they're like, what, three years away, though? I see, well, yeah, two drafts, isn't it? Two, two, yeah, two drafts away. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is a surreal deal. And also, sixth round, sixth round pick is a bit of a. I mean, you could just go and pick up a developmental quarterback who mm. can go away and get released two weeks later. Realistically, so we've absolutely, but it's uh, yeah, it's a strange one. Really, really, I was genuinely quite surprised by that move. I thought I was fully expecting him to be quite an important part of that Rams defense, but yeah, all of a sudden mm. found himself traded off to Denver. There's worse places to be. Is all I, I I could say. I think, I think I'd rather be in the Rams than than, than with the Broncos. Uh, <laughs> I would, 
think maybe not right now. I think give it a year, a couple of years, six around. I think the Broncos could be could be a thing again if they can get a quarterback. But that's been the same story for a long time. Yeah, true. It's uh, definitely one of the weirder sports out there in terms of making heroes and turning heroes into villains and villains into heroes in literally seconds, I think, as I, Ayuk find out. Um, you know, first round pedigree, and then next thing you know, on a kind of seemingly innocuous punt return, um, he's kicking the ball halfway to Denver <laughs> <laughs> uh, on the play. And it just made no sense. I think there's a couple of NFL rules that might need to be taken a look at because that's one where I think he's clearly made a critical error and I think mm. the the the, the uh, opponent should have been rewarded for his ineptitude at that point but sadly San Francisco kept the ball but here we are very weird uh, one that I missed off my list uh, there's one of the strangest interceptions I've ever seen uh, from Carson Wentz this week against the 49ers and it was very wet so I appreciate it wasn't ideal conditions for handling the ball but he got tackled from behind and he just sort of it just looked like he just sort of went here to the, to the, I think it was the linebacker. He went, here you go. He was only about two yards in front of him. And he went, oh, yeah, cheers. And he, he just laid it down the other way. And I, I think I watched it back about 10 times. I still can't work out what on earth he was trying it to was, do. It was a really um, strange, like, shovel pass that seemed yeah, to know more. But there was no one near him yeah. for, like, 15 yards. <laughs> he <laughs> wants some... 15-yard uh, shovel pass before. Again, anyone wants some more weirder plays and some plays that kind of just boggle the mind, you definitely have to just YouTube the collection of college most mind-boggling plays or something like that. There's a few uh, collections put together from very talented YouTubers, far more talented than I am as a content creator, <laughs> um, with some of the most ridiculous plays you'll ever see in your life. Yes, I know they're 18 to 22 year old kids, but at the same time, it's, you get some you get some real some real dandies in there. Um, good fun to watch uh, when you're when you're bored and lead up to NFL Sundays. Hey, it sounds like a good starter. Um, while we're talking about sort of quarterbacks and, and... That's sort of death by customs. I know you wanted to talk about some of the rookie quarterbacks and how far how they've been getting on Russ. Yeah, just briefly, I guess. We can just spend a few minutes on the, the chat of this rookie class so far that was so hyped up that we had five uh, quarterbacks drafted in the first round. Um, are all these teams just really this bad that we can give a lot of these guys mulligans for their rookie campaigns? When we talk about Trevor, uh, Trevor Lance, Zach Wilson... Uh, Trevor Lawrence, I should say, Zach Wilson, Trey Lance, Justin Fields, and Mac Jones. Um, but then, so you, you, it's easy to give these guys mulligans because they're all playing for bad teams. That's how the NFL works. They're the worst teams last year. They trade, high, they they draft highly, um, and then they get these quarterbacks, and they're supposed to turn the team around eventually. But then you think to years past in that 2012 campaign. I know that's a while away, but when you had Andrew Luck and RG three. Uh, lead their teams as rookies to the playoffs. You had Russell Wilson, very, very young as a rookie with Seattle, also getting to the playoffs. Are these rookies, I guess, I don't know what I'm really trying to ask here, is like, is it actually just like comparing apples to oranges, where the NFL has evolved so much to the point where coaches are now prepared more for these rookies coming out of college. They know everything about them because there's just more tape on them. There's a lot more coverage of them and there's a lot more scouts watching them in the stands, I'd imagine. Or is just this rookie class was overhyped, at least uh, in terms of being able to be game-changing talents as rookies for these teams? I think it's, it's too early to say whether it's they're overhyped necessarily, but... I think it's. I think one thing that's changed in over the years in the NFL is that there's a lot more to winning football matches now than than a quarterback. I think there's a lot more defensively that that I think teams 
can do. I think there's a lot more in terms of the offensive personnel. I mean, so I mean, Trevor Lawrence is is a really good example of. I mean, he's got some decent weapons. I mean, unfortunately, Chark's out well, for us. Fortunately, as a Titans fan, but unfortunately for them, Chark's out injured. But I mean, they've got players like Marvin Jones, who you know is is a I don't know five, six, seven year vet who's actually he's actually gone and done some good things with them. Um, the issue has been is that they've kind of they've blown it in 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 the big in the big games or big moments that you know they've they've missed field goals when when they really shouldn't have when, and it, so I think it's harsh to say you know, are they overrated or are they not as good as they were making out. I mean the Jets, I don't think Zach Wilson was going to fix the issues the Jets have got. There's a lot more things that need to be fixed on that side. Um, I don't think we've seen enough of Trey Lance yet. And Justin Fields just looks, and I'm putting this down more to the lack of protection from from the Bears side of things. But I mean, the guy just looked soul destroyed on the sideline the other day watching watching that game against the Bucks. He, he just he looks like he wanted to be anywhere but in Tampa playing that game. Uh, and to be honest, you can't really blame him because he was just getting pummeled around the field or or throwing interceptions left, right, and centre. So it's I think it, the game has changed quite dramatically in the last 10 years. But then you've got someone like, you know, talk about Matt Jones, who is, looks pretty solid. Patriots, I think he is, I don't, I don't want to say this, and I really hope it doesn't come true, but I can just see Belichick making him the next the next Tom Brady, someone who will dominate this league for potentially for years because he's he's got exactly, he's not spectacular. He's not massively athletic. He's not going to go and run around like Kyler Murray or Russell Wilson or anyone like that. But... He's precise. He doesn't make many mistakes, um, and he's someone who, with the right weapons around him, could go on and do something pretty good over there. And I'm hoping it isn't the case because I'm not a massive Patriots fan, but it's uh, he's one of those that it could easily happen. So it's early days to say, but there's some good quarterbacks in there. I just think it's it's what's around them that really is the biggest issue. I definitely agree that there is potential for Matt Jones to build upon. The base he's done. I think he's had a really decent base in these first few weeks. I think he's shown you know, he can be accurate and can sort of take some of the pressure that's coming towards him. So, yeah, uh, I think he's got that good foundation for, for years to come. I think he's a guy that you can build a scheme around and to be very effective, whether he'll ever be, you know, in that conversation of being top five quarterbacks in the league. I'm not sure. But I think if he sticks around in the right scheme, if it be Belichick or someone else, then yeah, I think he has potential for having success. If we were to redraft again today, I'd still take Trevor Lawrence first, personally. Uh, maybe he, sh- yeah, he showed a bit of, not necessarily rust, that's not the right term, but he looked like a rookie in the first couple of weeks, but I do think he's starting to, to grow a lot more over the last few weeks of what I've seen. Uh, Zach Wilson, uh, he didn't, look all that ready to me. More ready than Justin Fields. I can't believe Justin Fields didn't get benched on the weekend. I was like, let the guy, you know, just give him a chance to have a sit down. <laughs> just like, and not on his ass, like, well, not on his ass, obviously he's fine, but not on his back, I guess. Um, yeah. I think there's bigger issues in Chicago than the quarterback. I'm not a fan of the head coach and what they're doing in general there. I'm not sure they're going to survive the season to be honest at this current moment in time but they have won a few games obviously none with Justin Fields the time will tell and Trey Lance yeah hard to, it's hard to say he 
he's quite a departure from Jimmy Garoppolo. And I'm not entirely sure how ready they are to make that leap to tru- to truly embrace his skill set and move away from sort of the Jimmy G skill set, which they've been more accustomed to over the previous few years. So, yeah, it, it's too early to say, but it, it feels like Fields is definitely lagging behind, I think, than the others. But the, I... others had, the others haven't had played for the Super Bowl champions, right? I guess. <laughs> True, exactly. I think you guys are right, General. You, you do have to look at it as a case-by-case basis, and the, the Jags are a shit show with the coaching staff at this point. Uh, Zach Wilson and the Jets, that was probably the biggest turnover in roster. Uh, well, actually, the Jags were pretty, pretty close, but like as you mentioned, Greg, the, the Jags did actually have some weapons, where I don't think the Jets have a lot of weapons there that are meeting any top 10, top 20 wide receivers anytime soon. Um, and then, yeah, Trey Lance... Very inexperienced coming out of college. He needs reps under his belt. Justin Fields needs reps under his belt. Mac Jones. Really, we, a lot of people maybe should have seen this coming because Mac Jones, just, along with Trevor Lawrence, played the highest level of football with the most experience, the most reps, the most starts, and uh, the most success. Um, and sure enough, Mac Jones comes in and he looks comfortable enough in the pocket and under pressure because he is that pocket passer. Um so I don't know. I think it, it is very early to tell, but I think it's a good point to check in on the season just and just remember how hyped this quarterback class was because five were taken in the first round. There's a few more taken in the second and third rounds. Um, when early signs are that, you know, we're just coming off a season where Justin Herbert came in as a rookie and basically rewrote the record book for a rookie quarterback. So on statistically, at the very least, Joe Burrow after the injury now coming into his second year um, is looking lights out at this point as well so you're always going to be compared to your predecessors in terms of first round picks a quarterback and at the moment this class isn't quite living up to the hype but there is time to change that around as we know whereas joe burrow justin herbert from last year are looking like the real deals admittedly two is looking like he's missing out at this point but just interesting point to check in on i think for the for this rookie class that was so hyped definitely and i think just before we come to an end I just love it when a bit of news drops while we're on the show. Uh, so Devante Adams got added to the COVID list this week. They play on Thursday night against the Cardinals, which is going to be a really tough game. Uh, Alan Lazar has also just been added to the COVID list as a close contact of Devante Adams. So that game, which was looking like it could be such a you know a real spectacle of the week, it's starting to look pretty one-sided. Which it's a bit of a shame for football, but you know it looks like the Cardinals are probably going to extend that run. Be, yeah, they haven't had their bye yet, so that'd be eight and oh, eight, yeah, yeah. They're looking, they're looking yeah. so good as well. The Cardinals are like, I mean, I know they only played Houston on, on Sunday, but they, they yeah, they they just look, they look such a good side. I think they're they're gonna be tough to beat this year. I think the Rams, the Rams are also a really good team, and that division is always gonna be gonna be tough to to win out on, but I, mean, I can't see where the next Cardinal loss is coming from, really. So it's Cardinals, Titans in the Super Bowl. Great. I mean, I wouldn't say it's nailed on, but uh, get your money <laughs> on now just in case. <laughs> oh, there you go. You, you, you've heard it here first and probably, maybe not the last. I guess, I guess we'll see, see how the next couple of weeks pan out. Uh, I think that's all we, we've got for this week. Great. Thanks so much for joining the show. It's been great having you on. No, thanks for having me, Chats. Appreciate it. Anytime. And yeah, you're definitely welcome back to take on the 60 second weekly challenge. So we'll, we'll get that booked in. I'll, I'll, I could do it for, I could do it at 45. 
<laughs> I expect the same level of content, but I just expect it by, to be like a rap. Uh, um, Ross is a great beatboxer. Uh, so he'll be, he'll be able to do the, he'll be able to do the backing. We all we all know I'm the poet of the group, uh, the Rabbi Burns uh, of the Tough Show. I mean, I, yeah, you don't you don't I, want to, you don't want to pigeonhole yourself. You don't want to pigeonhole yourself, Ross. You can do it all. That's very kind of Alan. Whether you'll be able to understand the 45 second version is a different story, but I can definitely get through it. It's not a problem. <laughs> great. Well, yeah. Thanks again, Greg Ross. As ever, great to have you here. And if you enjoyed today's show. If you're interested in our weekly prediction show, it's available over on YouTube. Go check that out. With the games coming up on Thursday, it feels like the perfect time for you to go check it out now. Also, if you want to follow what we're up to, what we're talking about, we're available on Twitter at Tough Show Official. And we also have a Discord community. So if you want to talk to some like minded NFL fans, please feel free to come and join us. All the details are available in the link. Well, not the link, the description of this video. Really? No, this is a podcast. I'm getting confused. Uh, it's available on our YouTube description, but it's also available on our Twitter as well. Uh, so thanks very much, guys, and speak to you all again soon.